0: Welcome to the Agents of Innovation Podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation Podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on Episode 67. On this episode, we have a fantastic guest, Will Dowell. Will is the executive director of Behind Every Door. They are a nonprofit organization that utilizes community centers to run on-site programming and create access to resources in low-income apartment communities in Dallas, Texas. I was privileged to be able to sit down with Will in his office for this interview, and his office is in a restored home from the Victorian era. And what's cool is they're not just the only one, they're in a little neighborhood of other restored homes from that era. And it's just, um, just maybe a half mile, a mile to the heart of downtown Texas, really close in this revitalized neighborhood. The neighborhood was revitalized with the leadership of the Meadows Foundation. And the Meadows Foundation now has this little restored neighborhood. Just think of, just envision this little neighborhood of a bunch of little nonprofits. They all can walk around the neighborhood, white picket fences, and they can talk to each other. They can leverage each other's support. If one's having an issue or has a client with an issue that they can't solve, they could just walk that client right down the street, literally right down the street to one of the other nonprofits that can be of help. And the Meadows Foundation is providing basically free housing although I never like to use the word free because someone's paying for it, let's say complimentary housing to all of these nonprofits for up to 10 years. And that really gives them a great start to save some funding that they might put towards capital and instead put it right towards the people they're trying to serve. In the meantime, they're building their organization and they're trying to find their new permanent headquarters as Behind Every Door is doing right now. But we're going to learn more about all of this and everything that Will Dowell has been doing with Behind Every Door and some of his past life experience as well. So stay tuned for that interview. Also, at the end of this episode, we're going to hear a song from Green River Ordnance called Better Love. Now, on episode 66 of the Agents of Innovation podcast, We interviewed the lead singer of Green River Ordinance, Josh Jenkins. And Josh, we played one of his new solo songs on that episode. But on this one, we're going to go back to his band, Green River Ordinance, and play one of their really great songs that I think will jive with this interview. And this song is called Better Love. So check out Green River Ordinance and Josh Jenkins. And also, don't forget to visit the Agents of Innovation website at agentsofinnovation.org. All the links to our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter pages are right there. We also have blog posts for all the past episodes. So as I mentioned, we're on episode 67, but we've had 66 other amazing guests and you know, all sorts of entrepreneurs, philanthropists and artists on this podcast and it's really just been something. What a journey to see all the different people we have talked to and covered and more people you can learn about if you're if this is the first episode you're coming on for the Agents of Innovation podcast, I encourage you go to the website, look at some of the articles and blog posts that we've done on some of the other guests. And if you want to listen to the full interview, I encourage you to do that because many of them are very evergreen and can last beyond just the time that they were recorded. So thank you so much We really appreciate it. And if you haven't yet done so, please subscribe to this podcast on any of your podcast players and write a review if you can. It really helps bump us up in the ratings and help more people learn about the great guests we're having on the Agents of Innovation podcast. But now let's get to our interview with Will Dowell. I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, Will Dowell. I'm sitting here in his office in Dallas, Texas. Will, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on.
0: Great. Well, Will, I know you serve here as the executive director for Behind Every Door, and we're going to get into a little bit more about what you guys are doing. Um, just reading your bio, I see you, you began your career uh you, you're, you graduated from University of Texas Austin. Then you went and served with Crew, that's formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, C R U Crew, on the University of Texas campus. Um, and then I know you, you, you dabbled a little bit in real estate, and you started two other companies. And then you moved here to Dallas uh, to be on the founding team of Behind uh, Every Door. So tell us a little bit about um, getting here. Yeah, it's
1: been a it's been a fun journey. I've I've been able to do a lot in a little bit of time, and um, you know I think. Uh, I, there's an entrepreneurial spirit in me that I can't seem to shake, and keep finding myself in ventures like that. Even even in the way that that I've had the, the opportunity to leave behind every door, wanting to have this entrepreneurial spirit about the organization and to push for in, innovative solutions. Uh, it's just a it's kind of in my DNA. So uh, yeah, along the way, I got to do uh, two tech startups um, that were that were pretty fun and, and different, and we were. Kind of on the front end of, of using uh, analytics on a on a camera system to identify activities and and then to convert that into a command center that we, we ended up selling to another company uh, and then the other the other off of that that I did is, is still live but I'm I'm no longer involved so uh, yeah that, it's just a big part of who I am I think I think uh, seeking to to bring outside the
0: box uh, innovative solutions is just in me. So tell me a little bit about what the mission is and what you do here at Behind Every Door. Sure. So uh, as
1: brief as I can say it, um, we want to change the narrative and the experience of poverty. And we think that that poverty is is both uh, physical in nature. I mean, there there are real effects and experiences that people have, Um, but it's also a mentality. And I think it's a mentality that uh, we see across the board in everybody. Uh, I mean, there's ways that I, that I have kind of uh, what some have called the scarcity mentality uh, that I think can affect how I live my life. And uh, that's not exclusive to somebody who, who might have asset poverty. Uh, it could be somebody who um, who is not uh, having issues with asset poverty, might still have a scarcity mentality. And so that's at the crux of what we do. We, we want to confront uh, change uh, the narrative and the experience of poverty. And so the way we do that is we run community centers in neighborhoods that are typically uh, where there's a lot of asset poverty. And so, so
0: before we go forward, can you explain this to the listeners, uh, the terms asset poverty and then scarcity?
1: Yeah, sorry. Great, great question. Um, so uh, scarcity mentality, I mean, I would say is is just a it's a belief that there's not enough. Uh, there's not going to be enough, and so I think that can that can rear itself in two ways. One would be, you know, greed. Let me keep more for myself because I'm afraid that, that that I may run out. Uh, and the other one is um, I'm not worthy of that, or I I don't have access to that. And so I just kind of isolate myself, or and sometimes I, you know forced into isolation, and uh, and don't have access to those resources. And so uh, what it ends up doing that we see is just how I live my life, how I make the decisions that I make, um, how, I th- how I see the world, how I see others, all gets impacted by that kind of a mentality versus um, more of a, an abundance mentality, which would say there's more than enough. And, you know, I have access and so do you. And let's make sure that, you know, we all have as much freedom as possible and that we can have access uh, to, to those things as much as possible. So it's rooted in, in really a, a belief that, that freedom uh, is, what, is what really God created us to live within.
0: So the scarcity mentality, is that something uh, very uh, much more specific to people who live in poverty or can other people who maybe uh, have more means uh, also have the scarcity mentality? Yeah. So
1: we believe that anybody can have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we see it equally in both scenarios. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, there are times where I, I meet with, um, some of our donors and, um, they may, they may have that bent. They may think that way, you know, let me, I need to make sure that I can keep a little bit more for myself, um, out of fear that they may run out. Right. And I would say that's a scarcity mentality, uh, versus somebody who's saying, you know what? There's more than enough. Let me, let me give, let me share. Um, and that's not to say that you can't be generous and have a scarcity mentality. Um, but I think, uh, I don't think scarcity mentality is isolated to one group of people. I think anybody can have it. That's what we see.
0: And then the uh, the other asset poverty. Asset yeah. Poverty. So uh,
1: when I think about you know asset poverty being, uh, I mean assets. So just not having a means to to own. Uh, mm. And so I think that can that can play itself out in a variety of ways. But I mean, maybe don't own a home, don't own a car, don't um, and own very few possessions. So just an asset poverty. I mean, then just because I may use these terms too, I think there's relational poverty, mm-hmm. which which can just be a lack of access to connections. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. you know you may have a limited pool of people that you're connected to, as opposed to, you know, somebody who let's just say you grew up in a in a in an impoverished neighborhood and then make your way um, to to college, and because of that experience, you're opened up to you know an array of people who now can open doors for you. Well. You might have been relationally poor, and now you're not. Um,
0: so. so what are you guys doing uh, to help people with, it, with either asset po- poverty or uh, that have a scarcity mentality?
1: Yeah, great question. So we run community centers in, um, in neighborhoods where there's going to be a lot of asset poverty, a lot of relational poverty. And through those community centers, we do, really, we do two things really well. Uh, we operate the community center, and so we want to build deep relationships in the neighborhood of people who live there and really understand the stories. That's where our name comes from. There's a story behind every door. Mm -hmm. You wanna learn the stories, and until you learn, you you can't help. So we learn the stories, and then we leverage that building and the relationships to bring resources in. And so uh, the the other thing that we do really well is we operate a a program for kids and families. Uh, It's an after-school program that runs year-round, about, well, 46 weeks out of the year, and we focus on four areas, uh, social, emotional, health, literacy, uh, spiritual health, and what we call discovery, or you could call it enrichment
0: activities. Great. And so about how many of these community centers do you operate?
1: Sure. So right now, uh, we've we've operated a total of five thus far, I think that's right, Um, but right now we're we're running two. Both are owned by the Dallas Housing Authority, um, and they have community centers located inside their apartment communities, and then we're in the process of purchasing one. Uh, at the moment and that'll be our third and then we have a plan at the moment to keep adding over the next three years
0: so that's interesting these are community centers inside where the residential places people live inside their their apartments in the in the case of the two with the housing authority yes and in case of the ones we did previously that
1: was true also the one we're purchasing uh is actually next door to an apartment community and then
0: surrounded by schools and single-family homes but we want to be embedded in neighborhoods that's great so um so what what are the kind of backgrounds? I mean, we talked about the two mentality, the scarcity mentality, and people with asset po- poverty. Uh, what are the kind of sort of a g- give me a, maybe a typical story, so, some some story behind someone's door, that, yeah. you know, Without getting into too many specifics, uh, but uh, you know, just about the co- kind of person, maybe an example story, a person you've reached through that community center.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, mean, I think you know, a very typical story would be uh, a single mother who is you know, working two jobs trying to keep her kids fed and, and into a good education and trying to get somewhere, who was born to uh, either you know mother and father or a single mother who was also in asset poverty, who was born mm-hmm. to somebody who was in poverty. So typically, we're talking about you know two or three generations deep of poverty. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that that is a a whole different thing than, you know, more of a working poor where, you know, you're struggling to get by and, and you kind of get out of poverty a little bit and then you fall back in for some circumstance. We're working typically with
0: people who have never known any other way than to not have enough. And then how would you help that, that single mother? What, what are the kind of resources that she specifically is being benefited through? behind every door
1: sure so we would we would want to work with her kids so they would come into the after-school program we'd be well, on average our kids come in two grades behind in reading mm. so we would want to be working to catch that child up uh, so that they are empowered to so do they have the like
0: tutors or, or some kind of instructors at the yeah program? so
1: we use a program called Lexia it's it's a Rosetta Stone developed program it's brilliant and uh, and then we will have human intervention also so the Lexia program is iPad based it's very individualized to the child But if children struggle repeatedly with a certain principle, like silent e-recognition, then the software will tell us that, and we would have human intervention with a reading specialist. And then we'll do reading groups also. So that child's going to get access to that. There's going to be social-emotional coaching. So that's just, how, how do I process things that are disappointing, things that make me feel guilty, things that make me feel shame? How do I process anger? How do I process, you know, just my emotions? Uh, and so our staff are trained in that. And then we work with other partners, whether it be like Jewish Family Services Counseling Center or Momentus Institute Counseling, uh, Counseling Place, we'll bring people like that in, uh, just depends.
0: Great, so tell me a little bit about your team here at Behind Every Door. Um, looks like quite a, quite a large team that you've uh, built up, I don't know, I, you guys have now been around for 10 years, right, congratulations, congratulations uh, on the 10 year anniversary. And, but tell me about some of the roles that some of your staff uh, play. Um, Yeah. So this is, you know, uh, a a
1: huge thing for me is I love building uh, teams and I love building culture. And I think, uh, I think culture becomes the, uh, the environment and and really another team member another leader on your team that can um, cultivate your team and also protect your, uh, who you are as an organization. And so, who we have on our team are absolutely amazing, overqualified uh, staff members who believe this is you know work that either God has called them to do or just part of their own inner drive, and um, and so they're they're giving up other opportunities to be here, and so that's huge. I mean, we've got a lot of master's
0: degrees uh, with people who could be doing
1: something else, but they are choosing to be here. And what are
0: some of the types of things they're specifically doing? Like what uh, what kind of Roles are, are, are they engaged? I mean, is it counseling? Is it mentorship? Is it, you know, are there are administrative things that need to get done? Yeah, so yes to all of that. And, um, and,
1: and then I would say, you know, in addition to those, you're talking about running, you know, sports programs and leagues. You're talking about um, really designing and developing uh, innovative programs to address literacy. And so, how do we put together uh, Alexia? that already exists and pair that with a human intervention and then pair that with reading groups and then pair that with, with other research, you know, driven methods and put those pieces together in a unique way. And so I would say that's what, I mean, our team is built of people who are thinking that way constantly. I mean, they're very innovative, very entrepreneurial in spirit. Um, And the way that we lead because of the culture that we have is that we want to build big people and not build a big organization. Uh, I think our organization has grown because our people have grown, but ultimately we have incredible staff. That's it, it's what defines us, and uh, I think it's what has made us who we are today.
0: So, uh, tell me a little bit. I know uh, you're a person of faith. Um, you you were uh, once with Crew, as we mentioned, uh, and and also I heard you talk a little bit about some of the people here on staff have been called. Uh, to to this and 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 also that you do have a spiritual dimension yep. in your programming. Tell me about the the role that faith plays in the organization and the people you reach.
1: Yeah, so I mean, faith is absolutely the why. It's what drives us. I think it it would be a a common thread for this organization. Uh, and I would tell you that we believe that you know God has created everybody with unlimited freedom, and that. He wants us to experience that freedom in the fullness uh, that he intended for it to be. Uh, And that um, through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, we now have access to be able to manage that freedom well. And so even the way that we've designed our programs, it's designed where we we say to, to anybody who would come through our doors, hey, you're a powerful person and you have freedom. So you can make whatever choice you want. If you use your freedom to harm other people, or you use your freedom to, to create a bad situation, there are going to be consequences. We may ask you to leave. Uh, you can always come back tomorrow. But we expect you to use your freedom well. And, uh, and we want to do everything we can within a, a, what we call a choice-based environment, supportive of freedom, uh, to train you to use it well. And, um, and then let you go. So I think you know, that, that idea, this idea of freedom is direct for us is directly attached to how God created us to be. And it, I think it, it definitely drives everybody here uh, in what
0: we do. How do you, uh, you mentioned that a couple of your community centers are in uh, residences. Yep. Uh, the new one you're building is near one. But how do you sort of, uh, do you do marketing? Do you do, I mean, <laughs> how do you tell people, hey, we've got s- some uh, ways to help you, you know, sure. but, but, but also on the flip side of that do you ever feel uh, like you're talking down to people? How do you not like sort of talk down to them? Like, like you've got a problem. Yeah. We're here to help. But why, why are you telling me I have a problem? You know? So, I mean, what, what, uh how do you reach people? How do you get them involved in the programs? This is such a great
1: question and love that you're asking it. I, you know, um, we want to enter in as peers. Uh, people are not a problem to be solved. We don't, we just don't believe that. And so we want to go in and, um, believing that everybody has been created in the image of God and we're going to honor that. And so how do I go in and honor every single person I come in contact with? So I I said at the beginning, behind every door, we believe there's a story behind every door. So we quite literally are knocking on doors and we think it's a way to honor somebody. Hey, I want to come to your home and you don't have to let me in your home and you're certainly not going to let me in your home before I earn your trust. Just like I wouldn't let someone in my home without earning my Mm -hmm. trust. And so we, we honor that and we we work to build that trust we work to listen we 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 learn we work hard and take the time to do that and um what we have found is that as we create more of these peer-like relationships where we're honoring one another uh that is the way that we're able to uh avoid uh, i don't necessarily like that word but um not um get ourselves into a situation where, we, where we, we begin to believe like I'm the hero and I'm here to save everybody. That's just not true. The people who are facing poverty are the ones who are closest to the solution. Um, mm. They know their, their deepest needs. They know exactly what it would take. And my, you know, my job is to go learn from that person. My job is to befriend and to listen, and then to partner. And so to the extent that I have access to people or places or things. Great. Where I see a connection, let's build that bridge and make the connection. But ultimately, what we believe is that when somebody begins to pull themselves out of poverty, they're the ones who should be celebrated, not us. We didn't do anything. All we did was restore things that should have been there to begin with. And the person who was in that situation, once resources were and connections were restored, did exactly what they were designed to do. And so that's, in a lot of ways, that's how we see it. Um, and I think that that has prevented us from going down this path of beginning to believe, oh, I'm here to save today. No, we're here to restore and and, um, and walk alongside and, and really let people be who they were made to be.
0: That's excellent. Um, a, f- a few years ago, I don't know if you've come across this book, but a few years ago, I read this book called Toxic Charity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always, I'm, I'm, obviously, I have a podcast where we, we we feature people with all sorts of charitable organizations. So I'm a big believer in uh, especially in private charity, but of course, there's also, you know, um, local, state, federal governments are involved in non-profit charitable organ, uh, type, type activity as well. However, this book basically outlines that charities, even private sector charities, uh, could be uh, making people dependent, making the people they're serving dependent on themselves, or on the charity, or on just always having somebody there in need, whether it was from a natural disaster or whether it's a community project. And yet these cycles of poverty continue because the dependency, whether it's coming from uh, aid from the government or aid from a charitable organization, is uh, sort of not helping them people. But it sounds to me uh, like your organization is trying to help people help themselves a little bit with with pulling along resources. Tell me, uh, one, if you've read that and you have some thoughts on that, uh, or on that or on that subject, and how how you guys maybe are doing something like that. Yeah. I, so yes,
1: I think we are. Um, I have read. I've read parts of it, um, and I would agree. You know, I, I would say hopefully this is the most succinct way. And it's still going to be a, longer than I want it to be. Way that to respond, I'd say um, you know, I think charity comes with this belief, and you alluded to it that uh, there are two parties, and one is greater than the other, and versus investment where the, the parties really end up becoming equal, but there is a partnership with an intended you know outcome where both win. right? And um, I, I think we look at it through the lens of investment. How can we invest in a, in a neighborhood? And in order to do that, you have to listen to, to the place where you're making an investment. Uh, I mean, if I'm going to go invest in a technology company, I'm not just throwing money at them because I feel bad for them. I've researched, done my homework. You know what? I believe this is possible. I've, I've asked them questions uh, to understand exactly where the money's going. And then I give and, you know, best case scenario, we both win. Right. Uh, we we want to go into communities and listen because that community knows what they need best. And we just want to make the connection to resources that, that, again, you know, I look at this and I think they should, those resources should be there. You know, for whatever reason, right, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of things that have happened uh, in, in our in our history as a country that have created uh, places where you just have a lack of resources um, and when we restore that I think we get to see people thrive so that's that's how I hope that answers your question that's kind of how I see it
0: yeah I also noticed you you mentioned earlier some of the resources you're using what are and that you didn't want to reinvent the wheel yep. and do things that other people are already doing. How are you, what kind of partners are you working with that are helping come alongside and providing resources? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier
1: you know, counseling. So we don't want to spool up, you know, an organization that does counseling licensed counselors. We, there are plenty of people doing that already who have, you know, funding, et cetera. So how do we just use our space and our relationships to make a bridge? Uh, and so counseling is a big one for us uh you know a lot of the museums in town have have programs that they're trying to get into the community and Mm. and and they don't they don't cost anything you just have to have space and often those museums don't know what to do and how to get them there but community-based organizations like ours can be that bridge so we we would bring museums in and, and allow them to host something there that that the residents and the community could get access to um gosh i mean uh, the Department of Agriculture has has you know programs that provide meals uh, to people who live in, in asset poverty and so we want to be able to leverage an organization like that. We don't need to be spending time making food when there's organizations who do that well, but we have again a place and access to relationships. Let's make a bridge and connect the two so um, I mean there's I could go on there's just some yeah, those are some great examples
0: Well, let me ask you something will uh, how how is your organization funded?
1: Sure. So we are predominantly funded through private donations, of uh, individuals. Uh, and I would say uh, second after that would be, uh, private foundations where we're doing, you know, uh, some of those we have connections to, and, and they may be, uh, uh, led by a family, but, uh, many of them were submitting, you know, requests for funding to, and going through that whole application process. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so individuals and and really grant making we have some corporations some businesses that would that would get behind us but really those are the three main do you do
0: do you get any government funds
1: we do not get any government funds uh well with the housing authority there's some uh there's some things attached for some of the work that we do in their communities but um i mean by and large no we do not get government
0: funding okay great um the other thing, well, I know that you mentioned, we, so I'm sitting here in your office. It's a beautiful, what do you call this, uh, like a Victorian-style yep. home, yep. and it's in this very unique uh, neighborhood. Uh, tell me the name of the neighborhood. Uh, so this neighborhood is called the Wilson
1: Historic District, but the Meadows Foundation is, is who
0: put this together. Yeah, so the Meadows Foundation, all of these buildings here, and these are really just beautiful little homes. Some of them you mentioned were here, and they, they existed in that historic, going back to what, the late 1800s, and some of them have been moved here from other places, but fit the, the neighborhood's uh, Victorian style uh, you know, homes. And it's this really cool white picket fences, you know, trees all lined on the streets, a nice little dog park over here. So it's really beautiful, but I didn't know that this, all of these structures are owned by the Meadows Foundation and in one of the ways they support some of these nonprofits in the area is to give you uh, rent-free housing for ten years. Ten years. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about that program and some of the other uh, nonprofits that are in this neighborhood.
1: Yeah, this it's it's amazing, uh, and it's you know designed for an organization to be able to come in and then over those ten years, really not only gain a more stable footing with the lack of of having to cover the cost of rent. Um, but also to use it with exposure and and to, to leave better than we came, And, uh, and that's generally, I think, or maybe always, I don't, I can't say that with certainty, but I know generally has been the case for nonprofits who've come through this since the eighties when they started it. And, you know, their heart was to, was to, uh, restore a neighborhood that had been, um, affected, um, by, uh, just people leaving. And so. Houses were run down. Houses were, were missing. So they bought, restored it, and and it, and have done what what you described. You know, for nonprofits, there's a number in here. There's Dallas Leadership Foundation. There's Education Open Stores. There's Mental Health uh, Suicide Prevention. There's an, there's an Arbor Organization. Uh, De- uh, After School All Stars. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of organizations in here. They're all unique and do something a little different. And the idea uh, that the Meadows family had is that. Well, if they're all doing different things, collectively, they may be doing everything that's needed, and where they have overlap, they can connect and work together, and so we've done that. We had, um, we've had parents who ask asked for help with bullying, and, and then what comes with that, which is potential for suicide, and they've asked for help. What do I do? How do I talk to my kids? Well, I don't know, but suicide prevention is two doors down. And we can walk and say, hey, here's what we have. We're hearing from parents. Can you help us? And we have. We've done that. In fact, it saved one little girl's life because of a mother had, had, had said, I need help, got the help, and was prepared um, to start addressing bullying. And, uh, and so, I mean, super grateful for what they put together and the ways that we can kind of collaborate and work together just in this area.
0: Yeah, and that's really neat. I mean, I've never really seen anything like this in terms of having all these nonprofits so close. One, that's unique enough. And then, two, the fact that all these nonprofits are being supported by the Meadows Foundation, and that support is to give you a place uh, to really establish yourself uh, at actual headquarters. And, like you just described, the fact that you can just walk around this little neighborhood and probably get so much more exposure for what you're doing, how you can help people, who you can collaborate with. um, What a really neat, great thing, and uh, I think something maybe that could be modeled in other places, uh, for philanthropists to try to bring together. Because I imagine the Meadows Foundation, probably, you know, they're getting grant requests by from so many different people, and here's a way they can leverage their support um, and, and have people work together for the greater Dallas community as well. And to do that, and also to do it in a neighborhood, uh, this neighborhood as well had, uh, tell me a little more history, I think it had also been uh, sort of an impoverished area or at least uh, not paid attention to for quite a while, um, yes. and, and, it, and it looks like it's been restored.
1: Oh, they—they they, since the '80s when they started this, it has totally transformed this part of the city. Um,
0: and I mean, they—they they really. And I could, I could basically. I'm a scooter ride away from downtown Dallas. Uh, oh yeah, 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 right there. And, <laughs> yeah. and then
1: from Bellum and uh, yeah. you're you're right here in the heart of Dallas, and and they they kind of. Um, they were the first ones in and then kind of said, "No, we're gonna we're gonna bring strength back to this community." And then I think because they just they had the means to kind of hold that line, uh, it allowed the surrounding area to begin to kind of come back. And that's what's happened uh, all around here. I think they've sparked this. It, it, Again, yeah, it's taken a very long time, but um, it's beautiful. I mean, you're talking about it. I mean, there, there's this dog park's gonna be full of dogs soon. Um, just people usually come right around lunchtime. And, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful area what they've, what they've done for this part of the city. And
0: you've also got some of the structures here are kind of shared between some of the nonprofits. You mentioned you can, if you needed a, a conference room yep. or something.
1: Yeah, so uh, we, have, we have a large team and we don't fit uh, in our conference room. But if we want to go down to a Carriage House, we can do a meeting there. And if we wanted to host a larger meeting of 200 people, there's a building for that. They're, they're so generous towards the nonprofit community.
0: So, so uh, Will, uh, one of the things I like to ask a lot of my guests on the Agents of Innovation podcast is uh, what their first job was. This was a, a, I was reading one of Ben Sass's books uh, about a year or two ago, and he says he likes to ask this to people when he meets them because it gives him uh, kind of a little insight into that person. And maybe – so I want to ask you what your first job was and – you know, maybe there are things you learned or, or maybe some skills or traits you still keep with you today because of what you learned then. But yeah, what was your first job? That's so funny. People laugh when I say it. So my
1: first job, and it does give insight. My first job was I started a DJ business with a friend In uh, gosh, I don't remember what grade, sixth or seventh grade. <laughs> nice. And we, you know, we bought a bunch of equipment and started DJing parties. So you grew up in Houston, right? Yes. Yeah, I did. So we did that in Houston. we, and we, man, it was the early days of, of, uh, of, you know, music, being able to download music on the internet and, and we had books and books of CDs and yeah. and we would have the computer and, uh, anyways, we, we built the business and we, we would add equipment and we were able to begin booking bigger kinds of parties and we did it all the way through high school. My, my business partner in it actually took everything and took it to college with them and continued doing things there. I, I didn't, but, uh, yeah.
0: Now, when you're talking DJing, are you, were you spinning <laughs> records or were you just basically having a playlist at, at weddings and things like
1: that? Yeah, no, so it was both, uh, <laughs> and, and we would do both and it, we would spin, um, th- this was like right when they figured it out, but, uh, you could put CDs and, and these, um, I, they're like, turntables for cds and, and there's digitally you were able to scratch and uh admittedly i was not that i didn't have that gift <laughs> uh, um I, I i helped with another another part of what we did but would help pick music yeah it was fun
0: all right well dj will dowell um <laughs> well one of what as we leave uh and sort of close out the interview here i just wanted to also ask you are there any uh, things that you want to leave us with uh, or anything that you want to maybe give some insight into what behind every door is kind of looking, you know, what's the next door you're looking behind uh, to, to kind of, uh, you know, invest in?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're really excited about this community center that we're, we're going to purchase and then renovate. Uh, we think it's a, it's a model that can be scaled. And um, we think there's been a huge impact in the last 10 years. And now we think this is a way to grow it going forward. So really excited about the next few years of, of, piloting this in in this freestanding community center and then trying to scale to more. Uh, And then, you know, I think if I had, you know, a final thing, I'd say in the last 10 years, what I've learned more than anything else is that when we sit with other people and have dialogue and listen, truly listen, not just to hear, but to understand what's being spoken, I have seen more common ground. I've seen more friendship. I've seen, I've just... It's amazing what happens. I think that's my biggest thing: uh, is just to see more of that. That we would go knock on somebody's door, uh, figuratively or literally, and um, and get to know that person, seek to understand where we disagree, seek to understand all the more, uh, and um, just the beauty that it brings uh, when connections are made like that.
0: Yeah, you know, we live in um, we live in very polarized times. We're constantly being told this, and we we oftentimes experience this. Uh, and also, we live in a I think a time that a lot of news is nationalized and internationalized and and, and yet we sometimes forget um, that we live in neighborhoods and we live right next to people that we could help or that we could just be friends with um, and we could understand, like you said. So I think it's great that what you guys are doing, uh, just getting to know people behind every door. And let, tell me a little bit for people that want to learn more. Uh, where can they find you? Where, what's the website? All that. Sure. So you can find us on on Facebook or uh,
1: Instagram, just with Behind Every Door. And uh, likewise, our our web address is behindeverydoor.org.
0: And if people are so, if people are looking for resources, they can do they can go there. If they're what about people who want to. Uh, Maybe they want to donate or maybe they want to volunteer. Are there opportunities? Absolutely. For both. Yeah. (laughs) And and those. I know as a development person, (laughs) there's always opportunities to donate. Yes. But also sometimes people want to give their time.
1: Absolutely. And I would say both. And if you found, if you went to social media pages or our website, you can find opportunities for uh, giving time or money. Both are, we need both. And, um, and the opportunities are there.
0: Great. Well, Will, thanks for being Will Dowell here on the uh, Agents of Innovation podcast. And thanks for welcoming me to your beautiful offices in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for having me on. I, I'm glad you came. Thanks. Thanks.
1: Oh, 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 oh you take me as. I-
0: heart that you have saved I can't